Hi, and welcome to What Happens Next. I'm Dr. Susan Carland. This time, we are looking at the therapeutic potential of using psychedelics to treat mental health conditions such as depression and PTSD. Attitudes towards psychoactive drugs for the treatment of PTSD are changing. Some proponents suggest they offer a chemical safety net for patients. We speak to experts working in the field about some of the early trials using psychedelics such as MDMA and psilocybin. Paul Lignitsky is a joint research fellow within the Turner Institute and the Department of Psychiatry at Monash University. His work examines mechanisms of mental illness and treatment development, primarily within mood, anxiety and addiction disorders. Dr. Litnitsky is principal investigator across a number of Australia's first clinical psychedelic trials. Paul, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Tell me about your work and how you use psychedelics in your work, either in your research or even in your practice, and what are you seeing? Yes, yeah, so important to say in Australia we're just coming through the birth canal now. We're just uh, arriving in, uh, in, in the space of uh, psychedelic uh, mental health treatment. Um, the first trial uh, to use a classical psychedelic uh, was approved in 2019 and commenced seeing participants uh, in 2000, early 2020 and then COVID put it on pause for more than a year. Um, it's, uh, that trial is at St. Vincent's Hospital led by a close colleague, Mark Ross. Um, and the other trials uh, in Australia have all been approved or funded uh, during the COVID lockdown. So it's been a rather strange time to see the birth of a field, but also, you know, very productive. There's been a lot happening. And given how unique this treatment approach is, there's an enormous amount of work that we're doing on the ground in schooling up and building up the capacity and the resources to do this well. Um, so, so we're about to open the gates on a number of trials, uh, COVID permitting. Uh, we have uh, ethics approval for uh, four psychedelic trials in Australia and um, I'm establishing two new ones at uh, Monash University, um, which I'm very excited about and uh, they, they're tracking well. So we'll be uh, submitting to ethics very soon. So what will those studies be looking at? What are you investigating? What are you hoping to see? The two new trials at Monash are, uh, one is an MDMA-assisted therapy for post-traumatic stress disorder and the other is a psilocybin-assisted therapy for generalized anxiety disorder. I think of psychedelic treatments as experiential medicine. You need a set of ingredients to reliably produce the kinds of experiences that seem to matter. For example, you need to consume uh, you know, one of these substances. Uh, often it's a serotonergic agonist. You need the right kind of uh, physical environment, the right kind of therapeutic support, the right kind of mindset going in. But when you take care of some of these basic parameters well, um, the benefits are are remarkably reliable uh, and they are the benefits that, that you see many weeks or months after this short treatment approach seem to be best predicted by certain kinds of experiences that people have while they're on the drugs. So this is why I think of them as experiential medicines um, because aspects of the psychedelic experience predict outcomes better than the dose, better than all, almost anything else that we've been able to measure so far. Um, 
and it's not just the intensity rating of the experience. It's not just that you know the people that were most high or most affected by the drugs do better. Uh, even when you uh, analyze the results and you control for that, the, the kind of intensity ratings of the drug, um, other qualities of the experience are important for clinical outcomes. Like what? So insight, what we think of as insight, is a key uh, feature. It's not just that people are having this encounter with different perspectives. It is a sense that the different perspectives that they are up against under psychedelics are more reliable or, mm. or better in some way. There's this interesting phenomenon where people are, um, really are having a far wider range of perspectives on themselves or their lives. And I think of this as, as, as the, the relaxation of Huxley's reducing valve. Huxley, Aldous Huxley talked about the, you know, the reducing valve and that basic metaphor has been corroborated by modern neuroscience, which is that the brain primarily is an organ of inhibition or, or it serves to constrain what you perceive in, in fundamental ways. Most of the neurons in your brain are inhibitory neurons. They are kind of uh, competing with other neurons and, and, and um, dampening them down. And so clearly we only see and think and relate to what tends to um, you know, serve our survival um, algorithms, if you like. Uh, and under psychedelics, it seems that that massive reducing valve, that way in which uh, what we perceive is constrained by um, our survival in, in, the, in the context of a modern human being or, 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 a, or, or a contemporary uh, and, and wealthy human being, uh, survival is not bodily survival, it's survival of your status or something similar. Um, under psychedelics, that relaxes. And so you get a much wider aperture, a much wider view on things. And I think that's one reason why there may be something to the feeling being more reliable, that you're getting perspectives that you don't normally uh, uh, see. Right. So it's, it sounds like what you're saying is for someone who may be suffering, say, PTSD, the inhibitory mechanics of their brain have almost overdone and they're almost it's like they're locked into a small box and they can't have a new way of thinking the sad reality is the terrible thing has happened to them so they need a new way of thinking about it because that can't be changed but they're locked in this loop of unhelpful ways of thinking or, or whatever it is and the psychedelic opens a little window for them to say here's a new way of thinking about this and they look out this window and go actually that looks really good it's not just as simple as live laugh love <laughs> you know like the platitude they're finally able to go, here is another way of considering this thing or understanding this this thing that I've been through that is actually helpful and good and not this small box that I've been in. Right. And and importantly, it's not just another way of thinking, it's another way of feeling and another experiencing way of being. and being. Yeah. Yeah. In the case of trauma, often it's very somatic. It's very much in the body. There's a trigger. Right. Like uh, on a, a cellular response? Well, I, you know, I think there's a possibly, a, you know, an arbitrary or metaphoric distinction between body and, and, right. and, and mind. You know, your yeah. brain is a part of your yeah. body. But, but more that, you know, something very uh, fundamental and basic is, is often um, triggered and instantiates the traumatic response. Yes. You know, you hear the chopper, your body just kicks in with cortisol and adrenaline and, and you're back uh, at the war and you're having that reaction. And so it's not just another way of thinking about it. Under MDMA, for example, there's the opportunity to reappraise those kinds of triggers, but not, again, not just in terms of the way you think about it, to, to go back to the things that trigger and 
to find a, a, a new way in which your body can can respond to that. Mm. And then, you know, there's obviously a, a, a big piece in, in sustaining that change afterwards. In some cases, this short treatment program leads to lasting changes. Uh, in other cases, there's, I think, a lot of work that needs to be done to kind of scaffold that into the rest of your life. Do we have any understanding of why uh, psychedelics might work so well for some people and not others? Do they seem to be sort of the this is the classic type of person profile that this will work for or is it still a mystery? No. So far we don't have any good way to predict, you know, a priori beforehand whether somebody is going to do well under psychedelics and benefit in the long run. As I said before, the best predictor we have is a set of experiences that people have under the acute uh, uh, administration. So, uh, th- and that that is reasonably reliable. So, mm. if we can get to that point where uh, participants are having those kinds of experiences, uh, then then we can reasonably well predict their outcomes at least in the short term. I imagine it's also similar with antidepressants, though. We don't know who will respond positively to antidepressants or not until they take them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I mean, in general, uh, you know. The prediction problems have, have not been solved in, in mental health care. If there are people that listen to this that think, gee, I or someone I know, I feel like they would be the classic candidate for some assistance in this area. They struggle with PTSD or other mental health issues. What should they do? Can the average person on the street sign up for a trial for something like this? Yes, well, it, the as I mentioned, the eligibility criteria are strict, um, but anybody who satisfies those eligibility criteria can get into these trials subject to, to the numbers that we can accept into the trials. Um, if anybody um, would like to be notified uh, when trials commence recruitment, uh, they can get in touch with my lab or, or a couple of other groups around the country, depending on where they're located. If you're in Melbourne, you know, all you have to do is write to psychedelic at monash.edu and we'll put you on a notification list and when we commence recruitment, uh, we'll notify you. Uh, there are all kinds of um, requirements and it's, you know, it's not straightforward and uh, certainly we, we receive many more applications than we can uh, accommodate, unfortunately. Um, because there's just a massive unmet need and, yeah. of course, there's you know, an enormous interest in this, in this treatment approach. Uh, so people can can reach out and contact us uh, and, and there are some other groups depending on, on, on where they're located. Um, but we're also, we are in this research phase, so the opportunities are limited for at least for the next couple of years uh, at, as we pass through and show adequate safety and efficacy, which has not been shown to date, it's important to say, uh, then we then we have the opportunity to move this into uh, service delivery and register it and regulate it adequately. But um, it is still an experimental treatment and, um, and it's not in the bag yet. Let's assume everything goes really well, the clinical trials go well, you get phenomenal results, you're the hero of nature. What kind of time frame can people think, look, maybe, you know, in this year, year dot, I might be able to go to my GP and, mm. and request something like this? The earliest that that would happen would be 2023. Uh, which is soon. Which is soon for uh, for MDMA in the treatment of post-traumatic stress dis- disorder specifically. And that would be um, through the organization MAPS that I mentioned before uh, because they've taken it through the, the drug development pathway and they, and they 
you know, they've done very well in, in the trials to date and, and they're, they're nearly at the finish line. Um, there are another couple of organizations in the US and uh, Europe that are looking at psilocybin for depression. And those programs, if they're successful, will probably be a couple of years at least behind uh, MDMA for PTSD. Um, so it's still a few years away for, uh, for, for uh, most uh, indications. And, and there'll, there is already a proliferation of, of um, research trials looking at the application of psychedelics for, for a range of different conditions and, and issues. Uh, and also a whole set of innovations. I mean, while, you know, this is both an old and a new treatment approach in, in a strange way, and th there are so many ways in which we can still innovate and develop uh, this treatment approach. Currently, um, there are a number of trials looking at combining psychedelics with various evidence-based uh, psychotherapies and other practices. Uh, so that's, the, you know, that's happening all over the world, and we're, and we're doing some of that here at Monash as well, which is very exciting. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Part of the reason that psychedelic research is hard to do is because it's, it's illegal. It's an illegal drug. Megan O'Donnell is the Head of Research at Phoenix Australia, the Centre for Post-Traumatic Mental Health and Professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Melbourne. She discusses the potential for psychedelics such as MDMA to be used in the treatments of PTSD and some of the barriers to enabling the use of these drugs. Megan O'Donnell, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. What are you finding in your research about the use of MDMA in being an effective treatment, uh, at least in some cases, for people with things like PTSD? The MDMA research is uh, in its early days. There have been um, about six or seven trials that have been conducted in the US. And these are what we call phase two studies. So they are small studies just to look at if this particular medication looks like it's going to be effective in the treatment of PTSD in this case, uh, and that it's safe. And what we've seen with these small studies is that it does look like MDMA is effective. Mm. And so now we've just had our first phase three study come out of the US, same research group are doing this research, they have the expertise. And phase three means that it's a much larger study. They're able to look at safety more broadly and we are to look at efficacy. And what we are seeing is that in people who are, have been treatment resistant in the past, we do see this effect for MDMA. So the question that's really interesting for me is what is it about MDMA that makes us think that it could actually be a useful treatment for PTSD. Mm. And that is that um, what happens when someone takes MDMA, they have uh, an effect uh, where they start feeling euphoric, there's a sense of well-being, there's a pro-social effect in that, in that way that um, there's a connection to other people. And what we feel is that uh, those positive affects and those positive um, experience really helps the person, um, if they recall the traumatic event, they are recalling this really difficult, painful thing that's happened to them, but they're feeling in a very positive mood state. Mm -hmm. And that discordance between this really distressing memory and their positive mood um, state helps 
change the memory. So we re, it's, it's kind of like we reprogram that memory and take out some of the distress and put in some of that positive feeling. And we think that that's what's happening and why MDMA might be useful for PTSD. That's actually fascinating. So it's, it's like you're taking two separate issues within the brain and getting them to join hands. So when previously traumatic memory was joining hands with negative feeling, now you're getting the traumatic memory to join hands with positive feeling and create a new pathway. Yeah, that's right. So it's kind of reprogramming the memory. What happens when someone has a trauma memory is that when they experience it and they have PTSD, when they experience that trauma memory, it takes them right back to when they first had the trauma. And often the pain, the distress, the fear and sensory experiences are all right. It takes a person right back to that original event. And, and, what we're doing is we want to bring that memory into the current reality, which is you're now safe, you're now, um, th that thing happened in the past, it's not happening to you now, and you're safe. And so it, it, that this positive euphoria that someone's experiencing, we do think that it does help to reprogram that memory. Now, I must say that we need more brain studies to actually show there's been very few scanning studies where we can see brain changes while someone's taking MDMA with PTSD. So a lot of what we're, um, what we think happens is either through rodent studies. Mm -hmm. um, so we have to kind of work out what's happening in rats and work out what's happening <laughs> in humans. But uh, so, but there's lots of opportunity. We, so the mechanism that we're a bit unsure about, we think that's what's happening, but we need the, obviously the brain studies to confirm that that's the of case. Of course. Well, it's hard to get a rat to tell you exactly how they're feeling at the time. Is it, is one, um, one experience with a psychedelic enough to create that new hand-holding situation between the traumatic memory and the, and the positive feeling? Does it only require one time and that positive feeling will override the old negative feeling or do you need a few goes? So this, there's a protocol. It's not that someone's just given MDMA and then they lose their PTSD diagnosis. There is a, a protocol. And what happens is, um, first of all, the um, the person who's going to who, with PTSD um, sits down with two therapists. So the protocol involves two therapists of um, different genders. So there's a male and female therapist. Uh, and there's two kind of introductory sessions where the uh, individual is um, orientated to what's going to happen with the MDMA um, session. They talk about their trauma um, and they, there's these preparatory sessions. So they're feeling very, very safe and secure when they go into the MDMA session. They go into an MDMA session uh, that lasts up to eight hours. So it's a very long, intensive experience. And the two therapists are really supporting the person. Um, they're not directing the experience at all. But usually what happens is the person talks about their trauma and talks about just it's very um, supportive. So it's not directive at all. And the individual just talks about um, new awareness and new information that they're getting about their traumatic event. Um, then there's, uh, then there's three sessions after that called integrative therapy where people, where the two therapists and the patient talk about the experience and then new learnings from that. And then depending on um, the trials are showing between two or three uh, doses of MDMA. 
So it's through sessions of MDMA plus then the integrative sessions. So it happens over about a 10 to 12 week um, course of treatment, but usually it's two to three doses of MDMA. Do you think use of things like MDMA or, or psychedelics to treat um, mental health conditions, does it have a bit of a bad reputation or does it have bad PR? These illicit substances have been made illicit for a reason and that's because they can be dangerous. So, uh, and it's certainly uh, in terms of using it therapeutically, we are still learning the best way of doing that. So I certainly would say to people if they're interested in using psychedelics in terms of improving their mental health to only ever do that uh, in a uh, in Australia in a research setting so that we can make sure that um, safety and um, the best possible outcomes will be assured. Right so not with their dealer in a tent somewhere. No and it really speaks to you know how we make how we make the substances to make sure that they don't have any, you know, the illicit substances often you don't know what you're going to uh, take. So uh, one thing about doing it within a, a, the structure of a research trial means that you're guaranteed to get a certain dose of, uh, of the um, drug, which is very, very important. Do you feel positive when you look to the future and think about what things like um, psychedelics could mean for the future of treating mental illness? I'm very excited about uh, how our new, a whole range of new interventions will improve outcomes for trauma survivors. Um, I, I think that the more we can move to a personalised medicine approach, the more useful our treatments will be. And I do think our existing treatments work very well for some people. What we need to learn is which people do they work better for. And so, so, the so there might be some people who just need our current treatments. And then there's a group of people who need something else. And at the moment, we are not very good at working, working out which treatment for which patient, mainly because we just have either they are talking trauma-focused treatments. We do use antidepressants too. They have some effect. Uh, not as good as our trauma-focused treatments. But um, at the moment, everyone just gets the current stock standard. If you do this, we'll see how well you respond to that before we think of something else. And, you know, I'd love to see the day like cancer where we can do some kind of testing and we can say, well, actually, the kind of PTSD you have will respond better to this treatment. So we're going to do this treatment first. We're not there yet. But that's, that's, the, that's what I feel very excited about moving into the future. Megan O'Donnell, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It was fun. That's it for this episode and for this topic. A big thank you to all our guests. And as always, more information on what we talked about today can be found in the show notes. We are back next week with a brand new topic. 